Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Today we're talking about the bread of life, and this is really part two of the sermon itself. Last week I began by explaining the relationship between the work of God and the way of God. And I want to simply restate that principle just to remind us, kind of bring us back up to speed because this is a very important understanding for us to hold as we see in the Gospel of John how God does his miracle work and then Jesus teaches through the discourse passages the teachings that he explains the way of God's working so that we can come to see and understand the will of God for our lives. And here's the principle. The work of God is not to wow us, but to win us. But the way of God is to woo us and not overwhelm us. And what I mean by that is God's not going to kick the door down and force something that we are rejecting or dismissing in our life. But everything that God does in this world and in your life is for one purpose, one glory, And that is for you to believe and to receive and to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're looking at such a critical passage like John 6, verses 22 to 59. Here's the aim of our message from last week as well as this week. Jesus is the bread and the drink that gives true life to all who believe in him. Now, last week, you'll remember, Jesus had uh, left, and then his disciples left in a boat. They went to the other side of the sea. The next morning, the crowds realized they weren't there anymore, and so they commandeered some boats that were coming up, some fishermen who had been fishing all night, made them take them to the other side of the sea. They found Jesus and immediately began to, uh, uh, well, beat against him with questions and, and demands that he continued to impress them, that he commend, continued to. To, uh, uh, convince them of why they should believe in him and what he was teaching. But when Jesus responds to their questions and responds to their demands, we see that, that, that only one thing stands between them and God, and it's the same thing that stands between us and God, and it's simply this. Unbelief is the only reason that we miss God and his eternal life in Jesus You see, unbelief prevents us from receiving that eternal life from Jesus. And it's also our problem in walking with Jesus daily. If I were to ask each individual here today, is there any unbelief in you? Most of us, especially those who claim to be Christians, would quickly say no. But I want to remind us of what's going on in this text. The crowd was following Jesus. And they would have quickly said, no, we believe what we need to believe, right? But the fact of the matter is, just because you're in the crowd doesn't mean that you're one of his children. And that's so important. Next week, we're going to see what I think is one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture for us to come to grips with. Because when we come face to face with our unbelief, that's where it leads us. It's John 6, 66, which says this. From that day, many walked away because of their unbelief. 
They didn't follow him anymore. And that's what Jesus is laboring for here. That's why God is working in your heart and in your life today that you might believe in him. We looked at five manifestations of unbelief's problems last week. I'm going to review these quickly just for, our, uh, just for our sake and our setting today. The first problem of unbelief that we saw last week is that unbelief skews our perception of reality. It skews the way that we understand what's going on in our life. But we also saw that God sheds the light of his glory on our life when we believe in Jesus and walk with him. The second manifestation or unbelief's second problem was that it confuses the priority of eternal glory with immediate demand. But we saw how it is that in Jesus God comes to us that we might look to his eternal glory in Jesus. The third problem was that unbelief deceives us to reject what is right in front of us. And we saw that believes mean we must have a complete trust in Jesus to receive what he has for us and to walk daily in that life. The fourth problem was that unbelief grumbles over what is seen to ignore what faith demands. And we just saw simply that grumbling is always sin. There's never a justifiable moment when that grumble is legit, right? It never does us any good, never does any good for anyone around us. The fifth problem of unbelief is that it fixates us on the minutia of some detail in order to dispute the greater truth of what God is trying to say to us, and it hardens us and it paralyzes us to what God is wanting to do in us. And only the gospel has the power to break through, to move us from unbelief to believe in Jesus. We're often not aware of unbelief in us because it lies so deeply in us. Unbelief always exists where it is that we struggle with sinful habits, sinful attitudes, or sinful patterns that persist in our life. You can grant this, sin always grows out of unbelief. What we believe determines how we live. And where you see that an action of your life falls in a sinful category, according to God's word, rest assured, it's rooted in your heart in unbelief. And I'm gonna show you how to counter that today. Difficult situations, difficult circumstances, or decisions, they can also expose unbelief in us. There are many reasons that unbelief exists, but there's only one way to overcome unbelief, and that's from, or that simply is believe. Only God can show you where unbelief exists in you, but he is always faithful to do that when we humble ourselves before him and receive what he says. Listen, unbelief, friends, is our constant problem because our nature is born out of it. We are born with a sinful nature. And if we will not believe that, be very difficult for us to believe that we need to do anything that would have to do with believe, right? But when we receive that truth from God, now we can look to him to help us in that and know that Jesus is faithful and he's powerful to hold us as we look to him. So, so let, me, let me say this. What is then belief? What, what does it mean to believe? 
Well, believe is simply a state of being that's demonstrated through specific actions. When you say you believe something, but it doesn't alter or doesn't affect the way you live your life, can you really argue that you believe it? No, right? But when you believe and genuinely put your faith in that, it will determine, it will affect, it will alter the way you live your life. And that's what we're going to see today. The relationship, if you will, between what we say we believe and how we live. Believe leads one to live in a pattern of seeking Jesus in every realm. Not only in what we understand in our intellect, but also in our emotion and in our volition, the will what we want to exert, how we want to live out our life. And it, it, it leads us in these areas at all times and in all situations. So what I want to continue to point us back to today is that Jesus is the bread and he is the drink that gives true life to all who believe in him. And here's the way I'm going to show this relationship today. I'm going to give you three central truths to believe, to take hold of. And then from those three central truths, three critical actions that bear out what it looks like to believe what we claim to believe. Does that make sense? So I'm going to help you today understand how it is that what you believe determines how you live. Okay? Let's dive in. The first central truth I want you to see today is simply this, that God the Father is working for you to believe. God works from all eternity past to all eternity future, which actually past and future and present aren't legitimate descriptors of eternity. It's just, but it's the way we understand it, okay? Everything that's happened before your life and everything that will come after you cease to exist on the face of this earth and everything that is true about while you are here in the working of God is for this. For you to believe in Jesus. I want to give you two verses that Jesus uses to respond. Verse 29 of John 6. I'm not going to read all of this passage again. I'm just going to work through it. Here's what Jesus says. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now let me tell you why that verse is important. Because that verse is not just talking about the actual activity of God's work in sending Jesus. It infers that. But more importantly, Jesus is saying this is the purpose of God's work. In other words, the whole reason that God works for us to see is that we would believe in Jesus. And in believing in Jesus, we would come to understand the way of God. In other words, what he's doing and why he's doing it. But his purpose for working is that we might believe in Jesus so we can not only see the work, but we can believe in him and come to understand the way of God. Goes back to that principle, right? Because what were the people doing? Jesus had already told them, you didn't find me today because you want to believe. You found me today because your belly's got full yesterday. You found me today because I entertained you and you wanted to be wild one more time. If I satisfy your demand, you may keep following me, but you won't necessarily be one of us. And that's what Jesus is helping them clarify. 
how it is that unbelief comes into our life. He's telling us this. Life is about so much more than just what we see or what we can experience with our senses. Jesus has come that we might have life that is full of God, not lacking anything. Paul says it this way, that the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the purpose of the work of God is to make you into a mature person to the measure of the, hear me, fullness of Christ. That's why God is working in you to believe and to bring you into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. When God demands all by our faith, we never give more in our all than we receive from him. God demands our full faith in Jesus because he pours out the fullness of his eternal being, his power and his glory into us through Jesus. You see, if we don't give our all, we can't receive God's all. God just wants to bless us in a way that we can't even fully imagine. Look at another verse, verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, he's saying what you've seen on the earth in the work of God was not Moses, but through Moses, it was God. It was God that was working for you. It was God that was coming to you and providing for you so that you could believe in him. You see, the work of God is always for us to believe in Jesus. It's eternally motivated and it's glory directed. And we must keep our eyes on God at all situations and at all times. Whatever God is doing right now in your life, whatever's going on in your life, friends, is not somehow disconnected from the work of God for you and in you. And as long as you see some part of your life as somehow removed from God's work, you will live in unbelief. And you'll wonder, you'll even call yourself a Christian, and you'll wonder how it is that God couldn't work. That God couldn't speak, that God couldn't act. But the problem is you're holding that part of your life outside of God's way because you're dismissing it from his work. You say, well, I don't see any relation. Well, stop trusting what you see and start listening to what God is doing. And the first truth you must understand is no matter what's going on in your life, God is working for you to believe in Jesus. Put your hand on it and hold to it. Cling to it. It is your life. Understand it. God works out eternal glory as he works within to believe in Jesus. But we miss God's work when we believe more in our belief than we do in God. This is so often how we miss. When we believe in our believing, here's what we do. We strive, we stress, and we strain to produce more in us. Well, I'm not seeing God's way. I see what he's doing, but I don't get it. And I don't see his way, don't understand his will. So I must not be believing enough, right? And we believe in some way that we've got to produce something more within us to exert ourselves more into it. And we strive and we stress and we strain and we, we try to believe harder, right? But that's not where belief comes from. Belief does not come from within us. I don't care how deep you dig. It comes from God. And when we believe in God's work through Jesus, we trust in what he's doing. God, I, I have no idea why you're doing this right now. 
I don't even like it or I absolutely love it, whatever the case may be. But I trust that you are working right now for me to believe in Jesus in this situation, in this circumstances for eternal glory. And that's what I want to do. And when we come to that place, we begin to rest in God. We cease from our striving, from our straining and from our stressing. And we begin to rest in what he's doing. And then we begin to watch. How many times does the Bible tell us watch and pray, watch and pray? What do you do when you watch? Well, for us today, we're in the word. And we've got our eye on the situation, but we've got our ear on what God is saying. Watch and pray. We're talking to God about what's going on and about where he is in the midst of it. You see, believing truth also means living like it's true. Believing truth means living like it's really true. You see, if we hold to something that God is working, God, I know that you're in the midst of this, so I'm going to keep following you. Before you understand it, before you can fully see it, what you will begin to do is you will begin to live as though it is true in the way that God leads you. And that's where faith leads us. No one comes to Jesus, though, unless the Father draws him. That's what you must understand. And you must understand that seeing the work of God and being drawn to it is the work of God. But that's the very work of God. When we believe in Jesus, blindness from unbelief begins to leave us to see God at work in all things. And so we, we cease to believe in ourselves. We cease to believe in our belief and even stop beckoning against Jesus from it. And we begin to trust in him and we begin to lead, live as he leads us, as his word says, as, as his spirit guides us. And, and, and this is how we hold to this first truth that God is working for us to believe. The second truth I want you to see today is this. Because whatever you believe about God today, you need to hear what Jesus says about God. Because he is the one who is God. The second truth is this. All of God's work is complete in Jesus. It's complete. I'm going to give you a few verses in John 6 for this. Go back to verse 27. At the end of verse 27, he says this. Speaking of the Son of Man, which is Jesus. <coughs> For on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, he's established he is the one through whom I will work. Then go to verse 35. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Go to verse 37. To confront their unbelief, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm going to give you one more passage, and then I'm going to unpack them for you. Verse 44, Jesus gives another teaching. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So what I'm wanting you to see in these passages are what Jesus is telling us about God. This is what he's teaching us, not only about the work of God, but about how all of God's work is complete in him. And that's what we must hold to, that there is no work of God outside of the person, the teachings, the work of Jesus Christ. You see, God has appointed all of his work to be complete through Jesus. And this flows from God's triune nature, from, from, from understanding that he is one God in, in three persons and the reason he sent Jesus, his son, and set his seal upon him was that he would be the one that would bring a way to bring us to God. And so Jesus is the word, John says in, in chapter one, that became flesh and all who believe become children to God. To all who believed upon him and received him, he gave the right to do what? Become children of God. But listen, friends, I want to confront you in this today. It's not because of your belief that God saved you, it's because of God and your belief in his work that saved you. This is important. This is important because if you don't get this, you'll continue to believe more in your belief and be deceived in unbelief than in the one your belief should be anchored in. All God's work brings people to Jesus to believe and to receive eternal life. There is no work of God without Jesus. And the only thing Jesus did on earth was what the Father told him to do. We've already seen that very intimate, close relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus was perfect in every way, in his life, in his teaching, and in his work. You see, salvation in Jesus is never in question or in threat of defeat. You get that? If you're a Christian here today, that there is, there is no threat against God's salvation in Jesus Christ that can defeat or overcome his salvation. That's what we call eternal security. But listen, I know I'm treading on thin ice because the difficulty that we might have if we start fleshing this out in this room right now would represent the difficulty of church history in the teaching of this. And the reason is this, because we believe more in our belief than we do in the work of God. We cannot come to Jesus and believe in him if the Father does not work. And friends... That's a truth that you must hold to. And you must believe as well in this, that all of God's work is complete in Jesus. I know some of you are wanting to loosen that grip. Do not do that. Duct tape your hand to the handlebar if you have to. These are not true because I say they're true. They're true because Jesus just 
told us they are true. Right out of his mouth, he's teaching us what God is like. What is most important for us to understand is God's work in this. You see, God only gives one kind of salvation, and it's always eternal. Are you tracking with me here? God draws people to Jesus to believe. God never works. There's never a moment in your life when God just tries to solve a problem, when God just tries to make a decision, when God just tries to resolve an issue. That is never the ultimate purpose of God for your life. God did not feed the Israelites in the wilderness with manna so that their hunger pangs would quiet down. That's what Jesus tells us, right? God's not solving the surface fleshly issues of your life just to quiet down the flesh of your life. God works for eternal glory. And that's what he's teaching us here. He draws people to Jesus for us to believe in him. Every miracle, every provision that he grants, every protection, every victory that he gives to you, every discernment, a right decision in your life, every gift that he bestows, every promise that he gives, every command that he makes serves one purpose. And what's the purpose of the work of God? Verse 29, to believe in Jesus. That's why God works. God wills that his glory only comes through his way and his work in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, he receives all who believe in him to give eternal life. Jesus turns none away. Why? Because the Father gives them to him. The work of God, hear me, is to do what? To give us faith to believe in Jesus, not to believe in our belief so that we can see his work, believe in him, and receive what only he can give to us. That's why God works. And it also explains why we must be ruthless to submit our lives wholly to God uh, as the psalmist says, to search us and to try us. To see, God, is there any wicked way in me that I'm living out and I've become completely comfortable with the wicked way in which I live and and that it doesn't even affect me. I've become so commonplace to it, so comfortable in living and walking in this way, but it's actually a way of unbelief. I put your name all over it, but I'm believing in my belief more than I'm believing in Jesus. We, We cannot trust ourselves In regards to our spiritual state before God, we must wholly throw ourselves upon the cross of Christ. There is none of us that is left. You'll see that in a moment in the actions that I give to you. But all of us die in all of his death. That's why I give you the third truth. Here's number one. God is working for us to believe in Jesus. All of God's work is complete in Jesus. Doesn't need you to add anything to it or take anything away from it. It's complete. It's full. It's perfect. And the third truth is this. God saves to bring you into intimate communion with himself. Some of you think God's just saving you, put you in file 13 to deal with you at some other point. 
You know what we called file 13 where I grew up? The bed of a truck. You wadded it up, threw it in the bed, and at some point in the future, you were going to clean it out or drive faster. Not that I ever did that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. That's not why God saves. God saves to bring you into intimate communion. Do you know that there is never a person who gets saved by God who doesn't become a child of God? Every person God saves, he brings as his own child. That's the intimate communion God wants with us. Look at verses 53 to 58 of John 6. Here's what Jesus says. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus culminates this conversation by pressing to the heart of the matter of eternal life. Because you see, when unbelief sets in and fixates us, it hardens us against God. And the only way to break through the hard shell of unbelief is to counter it with a harder truth. And that's what he's telling us here. He's bringing a hard truth. As a matter of fact, to me, the darkest verse of the scriptures in John 6, 66, when it says, from that day forth, people turned away and no longer followed him because of the hardness of his teachings. I want you to know, don't think that we're floating through the flowers of the meadow right now, friends. I'm telling you, we are wading through the hardest truths to embrace because it's dealing with the most central rejection of God that goes to the very core of our nature that God wants to transform and redeem. Intimate communion is the greatest glory that God receives from his children. You want to understand God and his will? Hold on to this truth. Intimate communion, not ultimate accomplishment. Intimate communion is the greatest glory that God receives from his children. That's why God works. And the way in which he works is to bring us into intimate communion, which is his will. I need you to hold these three truths because we need to walk through these three actions that are critical. If we believe these three truths, we will live in the pattern of these three critical actions. First of all, intimate communion begins as we share in his sufferings. This is our first action. When Jesus teaches what it means to believe in him, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Granted, granted for all of us, on the surface, that's just a little, ah, right? 
But you see, Jesus is speaking deep spiritual truths here. And what he is saying is that by faith, we enter in and we share in his sufferings. That this is what he does at the table with his, with his disciples. On the night, the gospels record, that our Lord Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread. And what did he do? He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. And then what did he do with it? He gave it to him and he said, eat, eat. And then it says he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. And what did he do with the cup? He he gave it to them to drink. You see, that's what Jesus is teaching right now. He's given us an instructional introduction to the Lord's Supper to understand how it is that we share in his sufferings. And not just in a symbolic meal, that is so critical and important for us, but as a way of communing with him intimately in what he has done for us. We share in his sufferings. You see, eat and drink that he is teaching us here are intentional and continual actions within which we engage. Sharing in his suffering by partaking of his body and his blood defines a new way of living for us. It's not just something we claim to believe. It's a way of living because of what we believe. You see, the Christian life begins in death, not birth. Wherever you are today, looking into God's work in your life, the right path forward with God begins with your death, not with your birth. And that death is not in what you do to kill yourself, but rather in the way you surrender yourself into the death that Christ has died for you. Paul writes this, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live. Sharing in his sufferings is what he's saying. By faith, Christians die once to the only one who died once for all. Until you trust Christ's death as your own, there can be no eternal life in you. Not just the fact that Jesus was a real person, he died on a real cross. Historically, that's true. I'm not asking you to ascertain intellectually to a historical fact. I'm asking you to enter in to a spiritual truth of God's work for you. That's what it means to share in his sufferings. Listen, friends, born again comes from the tomb, not the womb. And until you have been buried and that stone has been sealed on your life, you will not be raised to walk in the newness of life with him. Just as new birth comes, so all continual growth and maturity comes from continual death and sharing in his sufferings. Dying to self is a daily reality for the Christian. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 15, verse 31, I die every day. Christian, when your feet hit the floor from waking up, that's the first reminder that drives the death nail in your life for that day and says, today is God's. He's working. He will have his way in my life today. It's the first action that's critical for us to live out. Sharing in Christ's sufferings is the daily path of life for the Christians. And how do we do this? We see that his body is our feast, his blood is our drink, that we share in the death that he has died for us because we can't die a death that is sufficient to do anything for us that matters. See, the challenge usually arises in harder, difficult times when we feel like God's not working. Isn't that right? Well, God, I just don't think you're doing enough here. Watch this, right? I don't know about you, but I grew up a redneck. And anytime somebody says, watch this, get out of the way. I mean, get as far as ways you can. Everybody is about to get hurt. Something's going to explode. Shrapnel's going to fly. Do not tell God, watch this. Or worse yet, we come to believe you're not even present, God. You don't even see me. And you know what we've released? We've released the first truth that we're supposed to hold to. But what we've done instead is look at God and go, God, you don't even know what's going on. No, the problem is we've stopped believing that God is working for us to believe. Suffering, hardship, persecution, and trials... They don't send us running away from God when we are communing with him, when we're sharing in his sufferings, but rather in a faster, more confident, and with deeper conviction, they send us running into the only one who is our refuge, Jesus Christ. God, this is hard. This is heavy. This hurts. I don't like it. I don't. That's great. As long as you're in the rock. Get in the cleft, friends. You can tell God whatever you need to tell God, but don't, don't, don't talk about it if you're not in the cleft. Let him hide you in his work until he can show you what he's doing. Share in the sufferings because that's the reason he saved you. The second critical action is this, that intimate communion only occurs as we abide in Christ. Not only as we share in his suffering, but we gotta stay put, right? Jesus draws us deeper into intimate communion with him when he says, verse 54 and 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides with me. So it's not a one and done meal, right? It's a continual feast with which we abide in him. This word for feed is a verb. And the way he uses it is that it's a verb that describes our being. In other words, it's an action that defines our identity. An action that defines our identity. Let me ask you this. Why do pigs wallow in the mud? I know, you don't think this has any spiritual truth. I'm telling you, it's going to nail you right at the core. Because they're pigs. That's what pigs do. Have you ever seen a pig walk up to a mud puddle and go, no, thank you? No, why? They're pigs, for goodness sake. What do Christians do? We abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. The very activity of our life is displaying the identity of whose we are. We're his. We abide in Christ because he is who we are. His death.
death is my life, my death, his life is my life. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Paul says. The life I live in the flesh, right here, pinch yourself, the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am his and he is mine. We abide with him. Paul introduces his letter to the Ephesians established on this activity of abiding that defines our identity. Ten times in 13 verses he uses the phrase in him to establish that Christ is our foundation. He is our only source of life. In Acts chapter 17 when he's proclaiming the gospel to the Athenians, he says to them quoting one of their own poets in him we live and we move and we have our being. In other words, there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ defines the Christian's identity. And we abide in Christ when we dwell in his word, when we commune with him in prayer, and when we walk by the spirit that is within us. You see, abide is just simply constant contact in relationship with Jesus. That's why Paul says, pray continually at all times, never cease. That's like four different verses right there. Why? Because it's constant contact in relationship with Jesus. Everything the Spirit is doing within us illumines the Word of God to point us to Jesus for us. Listen, friends, unbelief disappears even when it's revealed as we abide with Jesus and his wonder-working powers work wonders powerfully in our hearts and mind. Did I get that right? Here's the third action. Intimate communion brings God's glory as we attain to life in Jesus. Verse 57 and 58, Jesus says that those who abide in him will attain to the same eternal life. Why did God give manna in the wilderness? To quiet their hunger pangs? No. To hold them in the promise that what he had for them in the promised land was greater than anything the wilderness would bring against them. Friends, I want you to know this, that as you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ by faith, and as unbelief is revealed in you, and you counter it by believing, and, and again, staying at the table and abiding with Christ, when you see unbelief, you'll go, okay, there it is, we're done. Go, no, 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 God, why? What am I believing? What am I holding to? What am I failing to believe? What am I wanting more than you? What am I desiring more deeply than you? What is growing unbelief in me, God? And as Jesus deepens his hold in us through holding to the truths and living in these critical activities that define who we are, God, there is no life outside of you. If I let go of you, there is no other life for me. As Peter said to Jesus, next, I keep preaching next week's sermon. Jesus says to them, do you want to walk away too? And Peter says, where will we go? Where would I go if I left you, Christ? There is no life other than you. You are all there is. I've got nowhere else to go. And in the promise of that, here's how Paul says it. If we have died with him, Colossians verse 4, chapter 3, 
If we have died with him, we will also live with him. See, here's what that means. When we attain to life, that we hold that the reality of this world is not greater, it's not more real, it's not more ultimate than eternity with God. You get that? There is a reality that's bigger than my peach, pinch, however you say the word. Then what's going on in my life right now? There's a greater reality. And I am going to commune with Christ intimately to attain to the greater, ultimate, eternal reality of God in me because of what Christ is doing in me. Christians continually feast on the Lord Jesus Christ because abiding in him, the feed and the drink activity of believing, is the only way we overcome unbelief. That's the only way that unbelief will be overcome in your life, is to hold to the one in whom we believe. Let's pray.